so excited that you're here this morning. I, I can't tell you the last time I was so, uh, have so looked forward to a series that we're doing. Today we're starting a new series that will begin today and end on Easter Sunday. And I just want to invite you to take this journey with us this Easter season. During the last few hours of Jesus' life, he made seven statements as he hung on the cross. As he, as he hung there dying, he specifically said seven things. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to take each one of those statements one by one, one at a time, and each week we're going to look at one of the last seven statements that Jesus made. Now, during um, the week traditionally known as Holy Week, as we move into the Easter season, we're going to have an Easter devotional that we've uh, written for you, and it's going to be available, and I want to encourage you to start to look forward to that, and uh, when we make it available to you, jump in, and, and let's just dive into the Easter season and the deeper meaning of the cross and its implications for our life. Good Friday, we're going to have a Good Friday communion service here together uh, in the sanctuary. Now, in this series, we're going to take these seven statements in reverse. It's almost like when you've gone to see a movie and it starts at the last scene and then you see sort of how you got there. You walk backwards through it. So we're going to start in reverse, and we're going to start at the last statement that Christ made. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to end at the first statement he made, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. We've been praying through our 21-day fast in January that God would give a breakthrough to people who are far away from him on Easter Sunday. And in February, we've been in our life groups. We've been praying every week, and we've been reaching out, and we've been trying to build that relationship with someone who's far away from God. And in March, what we've said is, let's share the table. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's share a meal. Let's somehow advance that relationship with a person in your life that's far from God, and then invite them Easter Sunday. And we're just, we've just been praying and believing that on Easter Sunday, it's going to be a breakthrough. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And so I want to encourage you to keep walking this thing out with us. But for this morning, Jesus shared seven statements. Why seven? Seven is the number of completeness. Seven is also the number of rest. Six days, God created the earth and on the seventh day, he rested. Just like in creation, six statements Jesus made on the cross. And the seventh statement, he rested. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 31, 1 through 5. Jesus quotes in his final statement on the cross. He quotes Psalm 31. In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Look at verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord. My faithful God. 
These are the words that Jesus spoke. These are the last words that Jesus spoke when he was on the cross. So today we're starting these seven statements in reverse. So we're beginning with the last one. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Now as I thought about these final words of Jesus, it occurred to me that nobody ever finished their life better than Jesus. Nobody ever finished better than him. He completed his life's purpose. He stayed the course. He lived his life to the fullest better than anyone who've ever lived. He lived the best life anybody ever lived. He died the best death anybody ever died. He finished what he came to do better than anyone who ever lived in history. He, now, next week we're going to look at the statement, it is finished. That tells us what he finished. But today, into your hands I commit my spirit, that tells us how he finished. And so, as we look at how he finished, it made me think, what can we learn about Jesus' last words on the cross that will help us finish well? That will help us live the life that God intended us to live? I'm just going to give you two thoughts this morning. How can you and I finish well? Here's the first thought. If you have something to take notes, I want to encourage you to, to follow along and write some things down that speak to you as the service goes on. How can we finish well? Here's the first thought. Live ready. Live ready. Jesus lived with such an unyielding purpose. The Bible says he came to seek and save the lost. The Bible says he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. The Bible says that he came eating and drinking. Jesus was on a mission to save people, to serve people, to build relationships with people. He pursued that purpose relentlessly. He not only finished what he started, he lived every day in the reality of how he wanted to finish. And this business of sort of setting a, a big, gigantic goal for your life and then working it backwards into predictable steps that you can follow to attain that goal, well, that only works if you know how long you're going to live. That only works if you know you're going to live long enough to do that. We don't know when the end is. We don't know how it will come, but we know for certain it will. The Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die. When they woke up this morning, the 100 people who will die in an automobile accident in America today didn't know they were going to die. The 3,000 people that are going to die today in America of heart attack didn't know when they woke up they were going to die. We actually have very little influence over any of that. What we can determine, though, is the condition we will be in when it happens. Live ready. So when you're dealing with the unknown, like, I don't know, how long your life's going to be, how do you finish well? In the final words of Jesus, he teaches us not only how to die, but how to live every day. Into your hands, I commit my spirit, was a prayer that Jewish mothers used to pray with their children when they would put them to bed at night. Turn the light down low, blow the candle out, tuck the cover in around them everywhere. And say, now, before you go to sleep tonight, let's pray it together. Lord, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. It was a prayer that Jewish mothers 
used to pray with her children at night when they would put them to bed. It's a beautiful thought to me that Mary may have very well tucked Jesus in every night and ended the day with this prayer. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. And now we find Jesus hanging on the cross and his final word is, into your hands. I wonder if he was flashing back to his childhood. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. You know, at the end, everything comes back to the beginning, right? Life starts simple, and usually it starts simple because we, we underestimate how complicated it really is. But on the other end, as it winds down, life, in a strange way, returns to the simple, mostly because we realize we've overcomplicated it. Isn't that interesting? It's in the middle, however, that things get really complicated. And most of us live in the middle. It's in the middle of raising our kids, in the middle of working hard, in the middle of still trying to work our own life out while we're carrying all those responsibilities. It's in the middle of trying to cover all the bases, and it's in the middle that we have so many pressures pulling at us at one time. It's in the middle that we tend to make most of our mistakes. And it's in the middle that we have the greatest temptation to get our priorities out of order. I read an article a couple years ago that fascinated me. It was written by a lady who had spent years being a caregiver for people who were dying. That was her job, sort of like hospice. When someone had been given uh, a final notice that there's nothing we can do, you're going to pass away, she would be called in to care for them in the remaining days, weeks, hours of their life. And she said, as the years went by, she began to ask questions. And one of the questions she always asks is, if you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? And she said, as the years went by and the answers came through, usually a few things surfaced to the top. No matter who you would talk to, no matter where they were from, no matter what their experience was, they might all say it a little bit different. But in this article, she wrote the five things she heard most often. Regrets. Things I would change if I could go back and do it again. And here they are. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. Well, that's a big deal, isn't it? Meeting other people's expectations. Well, you, 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 you it's amazing. As a, I, I think about in my own life some of the ridiculous and stupid things that I've done. And when I boil it down to why did I do that, it's because I was trying to live up to or fulfill or fit somebody's expectation of me. I mean, as a pastor, I feel a great pressure. I feel a relentless pressure to, to bring peace, to please, to be spiritual enough, to be, have the right answer, to do this, to do that, to do the other. And I look back at some of the ridiculous things and I think, I don't have to wait till I die to regret it. I can regret it right now. But apparently it doesn't just strike pastors. She said this was the number one regret. 
it topped all others. So whether, whether it's a spouse or a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or parents or grandparents or a pastor or a coach or a principal or, or, or the community at large or your friends that might lock you out, if you don't, somehow or another we all feel this incredible pressure to be something we're not to make somebody else think something about us that might not even be true, might not even need to be true. Jesus never seemed to be burdened by other people's expectations. He never seemed to be burdened by them at all. He seemed to just live free of them. See, here's the thing. You can't make, you, can't, you can never make everyone happy. You can't even make anyone happy all the time. So why do we work so hard at it? Now look, this might sound like self-help to you, but I'm telling you it's not self-help. You can't do what God made you to do if you keep trying to be somebody God didn't make you to be. Right? You can't be the dad God designed you to be if you're trying to be somebody else. You can't be the husband, you can't be the wife, you can't be the mom, you can't be the missionaries, you can't be the, you can't be the Christian, you can't be the leader, you can't be the person on your job, you can't be the staff pastor at this church, I can't be the pastor God designed me to be if I keep trying to fulfill other people's expectations. Why is that so dominating? Boy, it is, isn't it? The second one, I wish I didn't work so hard. She said 100% of every male she ever cared for had this regret. I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I wouldn't have missed so much of my children's life or my wife or my... I wish I wouldn't have missed out so much. You know, Jesus' priorities were always in order. The third one, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Many people suppress their feelings in order to keep false peace and they develop internal illnesses and sicknesses that spring forth out of bitterness and resentment because they've never learned an appropriate way or maybe even any way to express their true feelings. Jesus never opted for false peace. Remember when he looked at the apostle Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. There's a lot of ways to rebuke a brother in love without calling him Satan. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I wouldn't allowed the pace and the chaos and the busyness of life to trump those relationships that were so rare. You know, like I said, at the beginning things seem simple, at the end they get simple, and on people's deathbeds they look back and say, why did I give up those friendships? Why did I let them go? They were important. Jesus always put people first. Here's the last observation she noticed. I wish that I'd let myself be happier. I wish that I'd let myself be happier. In other words, I wish that I wouldn't have waited on some external thing to happen, on some circumstance to clear up, on some good news to come through. I wish I'd have just made a decision 
that I don't need another thing to happen to be happy. Jesus never let life dictate to him his joy. Did he? He never did. Live ready means keeping the end in mind. Why? Because keeping the end in mind help keeps the middle simple. How do you want to finish? How do you want to finish? Live that way today. However it is you want to finish, live that way today. You don't know what day you're going to finish. <laughs> Could be today. So you have to live every day ready. You have to live ready. Uh, Jesus' prayer, into your hands I commit my spirit, is not only a good way to end your day, it's a good way to end your life. To finish well. Let me give you another way of saying it. You might want to write this down. Commit your days to God and he'll take care of your years. Commit your days to God and he'll take care of your years. That little prayer that the Jewish women prayed with their children at night is a pretty good way to live your day. Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. I commit myself to you. Can you say that little phrase with me this morning? Into your hands I commit my spirit. One more time. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Live ready. Here's the second one. Live close. Live close. Close to what? Live close to God. Our tendency is to live far away from God, and there always seems to be no shortage of good reasons for it. Sometimes we allow circumstances to overwhelm us, and we just go through the chaotic flow of life, and we let the culture, we just kind of float with the, with the tension, with the energy of the culture that's now in a full-blown, uh, rapid, moving away from God. Sometimes we allow fear to overtake our lives and we just move away from God because fear controls us and paralyzes us. Sometimes we don't meet the standards of Christianity that we think we ought to be meeting. Well, I didn't do this and I didn't do that and I didn't do this right and I didn't do that right. And, and guilt holds us back from living close to God because we can't figure out how to reconcile what we either did wrong or did not do right. We haven't met our own internal standard or our interpretation of it, so we just sort of uh, back away and we're too guilty, we're too ashamed to be close to God, so we hide, we hide in busyness, we hide in sin, we try to cover ourselves up. Sometimes we endure painful circumstances and, and just like a, a castle door, we pull the drawbridge up and we try to shut the world out because when we hurt, what we want more than anything is not to hurt again. And so what we do is we try to recluse and lock down and shut down and protect ourselves from ever being hurt again. But when we lock down, we not only maybe lock uh, the risk of an experience out, we lock God out. You can't lock the world out with prejudice. <laughs> you can't lock this out and not that out. When you shut down, when you pull the drawbridge up, when you shut everything out, you shut God out too. And you hold him at a distance. And here we see Jesus, watch this, hanging on the cross, surrounded by the worst circumstances of all. The crowd hates him. His body is throbbing in intense agony. The soldiers are looking for another opportunity to torture him. The Pharisees are delighted in this sense of justice that they feel. 
And for the most part, those who loved him have abandoned him. And how does he respond to all of that? One simple little word that I have left out the entire message. He responds with one simple little word that I have left out the entire message. I left a word out of his final statement. It's a simple, powerful little word that will change everything. Father. His last words were not into your hands I commit my spirit. His last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Isn't that interesting? One of the greatest truths that we can see from these last words of Jesus is that it is our, it is our privilege to experience communion with God at all times. At all times. Regardless of the circumstances or the fears or the hurts that leave us numb or the sins that we commit, communion with God is by faith, through grace. David in Psalm 23 said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. You and I have access to God all the time. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. Did you find that other verse I pointed out? Romans chapter 8, 35 and 39. Listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to the slaughtered, to be slaughtered. But look at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, let me say it another way, no thing will separate you from the love of God. If Jesus could sit there on that cross, hanging there, suffering, with the sin and the shame of the world plastered on him, abandoned by his friends, tortured by the, by the soldiers, despised and rejected by the crowd, if he could stand there and still have fellowship with God, if he could stand there and still say, Father, then I'm telling you on the authority of God's word by his grace, that you have the same ability this morning, no matter what you did this week or did not do this week, no matter how distant you've been, no matter what's gone wrong, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've caused. If Jesus can have fellowship with the Father in that environment, then there's no environment that you can't have fellowship with the Father because of Jesus' death on the cross. I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'd come now. And everyone, if you'd stand with me this morning.
a very simple, very simple prayer this morning. I've I've told the story before, and I won't tell the whole story, but I remember when our when our uh, when our youngest son was uh, first diagnosed with diabetes. Um, he's in the hospital. I hate the hospital. Those of you who work in the medical field, I love you. I just hate the hospital. Grateful for you. Those folks in the medical field have been a true blessing to our family. We were there and uh, didn't understand what was going to happen to our son or what we were supposed to do. And a lot, everything was falling apart around me that I could understand. And I can remember walking out of the hospital room one night and coming down into the parking garage. And when I entered that garage, I, I, can't, I can't remember feeling in my life more alone or afraid or, or distant from God or God further from me. And when I walked into that parking garage, some crazy guy had his stereo blasting loud, echoing through that concrete parking garage, just sound reverberating. Do you know those people that play their radio too loud? You know what I'm saying? You think a noise ordinance ought to be slapped on them? This is what was happening. Except for one thing. He was blasting praise and worship music through that parking garage. And when I walked into that garage, God's presence hit me in the middle of the darkest moment of my life in the worst circumstances I could imagine not knowing if my little boy was going to live or die or what kind of life he was going to have feeling like a failure and far away from God his presence hit me and I said God there you are there you are I need you and there you are there you are God you're there can I tell you this morning I don't care what you feel I don't care what you've gone through I don't care what you've done I don't care what's happened to you I don't care what your week was like Father, if he can say it from the cross, you can say it because of the cross. And this morning as we pray, every eye closed in this room, every head bowed, I'm going to be very simple this morning. I don't, I'm, I'm not... You're here today and you say, God, we said live ready and live close. And inside your mind, you say, I'm not, I'm not close like I want to be. I don't feel close. I want to be close. It's very simple. It's very simple. I want to be close. God, I want to be close. Maybe you say, I, I, I haven't been to church in a month. Or I haven't prayed in weeks. I'm I like... I think I'm a Christian, but I, to be honest with you, I've kind of lived my life like I ignore it. And my heart's rattled today, and I want to be close. Just want to be close. There's something, I, I can't, look, I can't make it happen. I can't conjure it up inside of you. I can't say the right words to develop it. Either it is or it isn't. But you're hearing inside your heart, there's something pressing in your heart, and you say, I want to be close. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. I want to be close. Come on, just lift your hand up. I want to be close. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to be close. And maybe the circumstances have told you you can't be close because you're overwhelmed. Maybe the guilt of what you've done tells you you can't be close because of what you've done. And I'm telling you, you can. I'm saying this morning, you can. Come on, lift your hand up on the balcony. I want to be close. I want to be close. 
I want to be close today. I just want to be close, God. I don't I, I, I want to ignore other people's expectations on my life right now, and I just want to be close. I'm not going to live this morning trying to please anybody in this room. But God, when I leave this room more than anything, I want to know that you're happy with me. God, I want to be close. Come on, lift your hand. Is that you? I want to be close. Come on, just lift it up. God, I want to be close. I want to be close this morning. I want to be close. The worship team's going to begin to sing. And in just a moment, I want to ask you to respond. And I want you to come to the prayer team. And I just want you to say this. I want you to say one word as you come. You can repeat it over and over. I just want you to say, Father. Father. And I'm telling you, he's right there. When you come, I just want you to say, Father. I just want you to say, Father. If you lifted your hand, I want you to step out right now. And I just want you to say, Father.